welcome to the Anchored Hope Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to join us. Today's series, The Wrong Christmas Story, Part 1, Forgiveness. Well, today we're starting a new series called The Wrong Christmas Story. And, and you know, when you look at uh, just exactly how that video illustrated, the Christmas story, the, the Israelites had a very complicated history with God. And if you look at the Old Testament and begin to go through and understand what they went through, there are so many different seasons and chapters that led to assumptions they had about who their Messiah, who their Savior, who Jesus would be. And when we look at their story through the Old Testament, we look at a group of people who went from being God's chosen people to slaves. And then from slaves to travelers, and then from travelers to settlers. And when they settled in the promised land, they decided that they kind of wanted to be like every other nation. They looked at God and they said, God, we would, we would kind of like to be like every other nation that there is. And we would love to have a king. And even though God didn't intend for them to have a king, God looked at them and said, well, okay, I mean, this is all, you know, a means to an end, and that end is Jesus anyway, but all right, I guess I'll trust you guys, and uh, I'll, I'll give you a king. You guys want a king? Fine, I'll give you a king. And so God allowed them to have a king. It was their idea. It wasn't God's. So they were given a king. And then their second king, King David, he had another idea. He said, you know what? We should build a temple. Yeah, that's right. We should have a temple where the presence of God can dwell and, and can be kept and be locked up. And we'll, we'll have a curtain and only the holiest of people will be able to enter in there. And, and we'll, we'll build you this, this great temple, God. How about that? And God actually looks at David, and, and, and he says to him, you know, the thing is, David, if I had wanted a temple, I would have asked for a temple. <laughs> I would have asked all the other people before you for a temple. See, the thing that made God unique, that was different from any other deity, any other God that anybody had ever heard of, is that God was mobile. God could pop up anywhere. Anywhere you popped up a tent or anywhere God wanted to be, God could show up. And no one had ever heard of that. Everybody else at the time, when you said, where is your God? They said, oh, it's that uh, shiny monkey in the closet. Or it's the elephant in the back there. No, their God was kept somewhere. But God, the God of the Israelites, wasn't like that. He was mobile. He was everywhere. And so for the king of Israel to look at God and go, hey, I kind of want to make you like every other God and put you in a room. Savvy? God looked at him and said, okay. Even Because I think God knew, God knew this isn't going to last. This is all means to an end. This is all about getting to Jesus. This isn't supposed to work, and I don't think this is going to work. But God looked at David, and he gave him a warning. He goes, that's fine. If, you, if that's what you guys want to do, I'll let you do it. I'll let you build your temple. But I'm telling you right now, if you disgrace me, if you turn your back on me, I'm going to turn this place upside down. And so God let them do this. God let them become a nation with a king. God let them become a nation with a temple. And God agreed, and he went into that room in the most holies. And what happened there was a turning point. Because the thing is, is that all of a sudden, the nation of God, the people of God, looked like every other nation. And the temple of God looked like every other temple. King David even modeled it after other pagan gods' temples. I mean, it didn't even look unique. And so here's the thing is all of a sudden, when the people of God looked like all the other people, 
and the God of the Israelites looked like every other God, there was nothing unique left to share with the world. And so there was a turning point. And suddenly God felt betrayed. And about the time of, of King Solomon, David turned to, out to be a villain. Solomon ended up being a villain as well. God said, enough. And God left the temple. And about that time, the kingdom of Israel splits into two different kingdoms. The north, the people of Israel, and the south, the nation of Judah. And when they were split, there was a line of enemies waiting for their opportunity. And the Israelites are invaded, and the people of Judah are invaded. I mean, everybody comes at, at them, from Nebuchadnezzar to the Babylonians to the Greeks and the Romans. It just comes in different waves. And all of a sudden, the people of Israel, the people of God, end up exactly where they started, enslaved. And the people come in, and they tear down this temple, and they destroy it. God's temple, God's holy of holies, God, they, they run in there and they go, let's see what this God is. And it's just an empty room. There is no God in there. And they destroy the place and they leave it in shambles. And they kill their king. And so all of a sudden, the people of Israel, the people of God, are left without a king, without a temple, enslaved once again. And so then the prophets come. And the prophets, they come to the people of Israel and they give hope. They give a message from God. Hey, don't worry. God has still not given up on you. There will be a Savior. There will, there will be a Messiah. And He will come and He is going to slave you. The same way He brought you out of slavery in Egypt, He's going to come and He's going to bring you out of slavery again. And He's going to deliver you. And so the people of Israel, the Jews, they waited. And they waited. And they waited. And while they waited, they imagined what, the, what this Messiah would be like. They imagined what the Savior would look like. And they just waited for their opportunity. And then in their head, they thought, man, you know, this is going to be so good. This is going to be so good. I mean, you guys have no idea what's coming to you. And the thing is, is as they waited and as they imagined what the Christ story or what the Christmas story, as we call it now, would be, they got it completely wrong. See, the thing was, is that when Jesus came, no one saw Jesus coming. No one saw Jesus coming. And what's interesting is that today, we kind of do the same thing as the Israelites. I mean, we have the writings and the historical documents. We have the firsthand accounts of who Jesus was and what Jesus said. As he's not here with us now on this earth, sometimes I feel like we kind of color in the lines a little bit. We kind of fill in and make our own picture of Jesus. Have you ever caught yourself saying this? Sometimes we catch ourselves saying this. If Jesus were here, he would. And we kind of in our head have imagined our own picture of Jesus. Kind of even maybe, could we say, made up Jesus. And the thing that's so dangerous about that, the thing that we have to be careful, the same thing that the Israelites did, is we have to be careful to make up our own version of Jesus. We have to be careful when we're imagining what Jesus would do or what Jesus would say or what Jesus would want us to do, to be careful to not create our own image of Jesus. Because just like the Israelites, when we meet Jesus, we might be completely surprised. Because that's exactly what happened to the Israelites. And we have to be careful 
to get the Christ story, to get the Christmas story right. Because if we get it wrong today, we will misrepresent Jesus. See, with the Israelites and the Jews, they got it so wrong that they ended up killing Jesus. And today, if we get the same story wrong, and if we misrepresent who Jesus was and is, then we will kill the message of Jesus. Then we will help Satan tear down the kingdom of God. And we can't let that happen. And so I kind of want to look at, over these next few weeks, kind of some of the things that they assumed Jesus would be, that the Israelites assumed Jesus would do, but actually that they got wrong. Because what they got wrong, I think we even get wrong and we miss today. And so the first thing that I want to look at today is that the Israelites, they thought Jesus came to defeat our enemies. Jesus is coming and he is going to defeat our enemies. And boy, was there a long list of enemies. So many people that had done the people of God wrong. And they thought, oh man, there's a Savior coming. Whoo, this is going to be good, man. This is going to be good. Oh, just you wait. You tore his temple down. You are going to get it. I mean, you killed our king. Oh, you are in so much trouble. And so they waited, and they really thought, we're going to get a warrior king. We're going to get a nasty Old Testament king, because that's what we saw in the Old Testament. That's what they witnessed in the Old Testament. I mean, you messed with God's people, you were going to get God. And so they were just waiting for Jesus to show up and just be this warrior, this fighter that just took out everybody, that gave them the empire back, that made them the empire that they once were, that was going to over throw the government, make all the laws, you know, for everyone once again. They waited for that. They hoped for that. And then here comes Jesus. And hippie Jesus is not what they expected. I mean, they thought it was maybe John the Baptist. John the Baptist looked crazy. John the Baptist lived in the wilderness, and they thought, okay, I mean, we got crazy guy over here, but maybe crazy is what we need right now. And then cra- the crazy guy goes, no, I'm not the one. I'm just, setting up the, I'm, I'm just setting up the show. I'm just the opening act. And when Jesus came, John himself said, that's the guy you guys have been looking for. And they said, oh, good, crazy, because that guy needs a riddling, okay? So then they left John, and they're like, all right, so Jesus is the thing. And then They are very, very curious about Jesus. Jesus is kind of new, and Jesus is kind of, you know, mystical and mysterious, and, you know, he's playing a little bit hard to get and everything. And so then there comes a time where Jesus has his first really big message, like his first pivotal sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, right? And Matthew's there, and Matthew is writing all this down, and he has an account of it that we have in the Gospel of Matthew. And on the Sermon on the Mount, it's it's kind of Jesus's, you know, just full full thesis of the kingdom of God and, and what everything's supposed to be like. I mean, if we just had the gospel account of Matthew, if we just had the Sermon on the Mount, it would almost be enough to understand what God is like and what the ministry of Jesus is supposed to look like. And in it, people get a huge taste of Jesus. And it ended up being so distasteful that it's guaranteed that it left people in shock. It was a jaw-dropping message. It was so different than anything they had ever heard or anything that had ever been taught about God that I guarantee you in the middle of the message, people got up and just walked off. People went home and went, nah, that's not the guy we've been waiting for. Because it was so life-changing, so different, so black and white from what they had heard before. 
And so in this sermon, Jesus does something interesting that we all probably know or heard at some point in our life. Jesus taught everybody how to pray, right? You remember the Lord's Prayer? You remember when Jesus said, and when you pray, this is how you should pray? So this is a pivotal moment where, you know, they're kind of taking it all in. And Jesus has already said a lot of crazy stuff. But this is something that he says that just drops everybody's jaw. So he begins and he goes, hey guys, when you pray, pray like this. And maybe, you know, everybody bowed their head and closed their eyes and go, okay, well, maybe we can get on board with this. So they, you know, they bowed their heads and they closed their eyes. And then this is what Jesus said. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Now, up until this point, that sounds all good, right? Nothing that they haven't heard before. I mean, they're rocking and they're rolling with them. And they're, you know, they've they're, they're got their eyes closed and they got their head bowed. And they're like, yes, Lord, may your kingdom come. Kill everybody who gets in your way. And, and may your will be done. That's right, Lord. You just smoke those bad guys who are getting in your way. And Lord, as earth as it is in heaven. Oh, yes, Lord. May your heaven rain down on these people who destroyed your temple. Woo! I can't wait to see it done. And oh, Lord, give us that bread. Mm, num, 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 num. That bread you got, Lord. It's so good. So they're rocking and they're rolling with everything that Jesus has said so far. And then Jesus said something so different. So opposite of what they had been taught. It was guaranteed to get everybody to open up that one right eye and look at their neighbor and go, what did he just say? So Jesus says next and goes, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, what? What did he just say? Uh, what, what, I, I heard the whole part about the bread. I was really thinking about bread right then. And I think I might just heard, just heard. Did he just say, okay, I heard forgive us. And yes, we want God to forgive us. But did he just say, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors? As we also forgive the people who owe debts to us? Is that what he just said? Did I get that right? I don't think that's right. I don't think that's what I was taught. See, this was completely opposite of everything that they had heard before. Because what they had heard before, or what they had just been told is this. Forgive us. Go ahead and put that next, next slide on the screen. Forgive us as we forgive others. Forgive us in the same way that we have forgiven others. They had never been told anything like that before. Forgive us in the same way that we forgive others. Now, Jesus knew this would mess with everybody, right? Jesus knew, like, this is really going to mess everybody up. So as soon as Jesus actually says amen and gets done praying, this is what he says next. He, he says to him next, okay, let me clarify for this. So here's the thing, guys. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sin, your Father will not forgive your sins. I mean, he just gets black and white with it. And he makes it super clear. Oh, I'm sorry. Did that disrupt your thought? Are you confused about that? I see some of you turning to each other and whispering. Yeah, that's right. If you forgive others, God will forgive you. If you don't forgive other people, God will not forgive you. Okay? And then he moves on. I mean, this was guaranteed to mess people up. Because this is totally opposite of the whole Old Testament, Old Covenant system that they had grown up with. See, let's, let's look at what it looked like the old way. Okay, if we look at the Old Testament, we look at the old way, sins and forgiveness were a me and God transaction. They didn't have anything to do with anybody else. This is how it worked in the old, okay? The Old Testament formula was this. 
Sin against God minus your sacrifice to God equals God forgives you. Okay, I messed up. I dishonored God and I sinned against God. So I just have to kill my animal, kill my calf, lay him on the altar, spill their blood, and sacrifice goes up to you, and I'm pardoned of my sin. Great, cool, I can go do it again now. Woohoo, you know? All right, and then we're moving on from that. But this was completely different. What was old was vertical between me and God. And what Jesus did was so different. Because what Jesus did in that moment is he involved other people. He said the forgiveness process and how you are forgiven isn't just about you and me. It's about the people who are next to you. And remember, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant law, the 613 commands that they were given, it was not only your right, but it was encouraged. It was your responsibility that if somebody owed you a debt, you collected on that debt. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Remember that? That was the old way. You needed to collect your debt. You couldn't pardon anybody. It was what was right because you had to teach them a lesson. They needed to know better. So if they did you wrong, there is no forgiveness. You collect what is owed to you. And Jesus goes, it's not like that anymore. We're not here to collect from anybody. And you know what? That whole sacrifice thing, we're going to get to that in a minute. You're not going to have to do that anymore. There's only going to be one more sacrifice. But we'll get to that later. But what I want you to know is that when it comes to the debts of other people, if you don't forgive people's debts around you, God will not forgive you of your debt. And the forgiveness process now includes other people. Man, think of how different that must have felt. How challenging that must have felt. All of a sudden, a process that was between me and God, all of a sudden includes all the people around me who owe me. All the people around me who hurt me. All the people around me who did me wrong. And Jesus goes, you're not going to collect on those debts anymore. I know what the law says. I know what the old covenant says. Yeah, not like that anymore. You are to forgive those debts. Jesus takes this so seriously. He, again, he, he continues to expound on this idea. He even says to them in this sermon at a point, he goes, hey, by the way, I'm so serious about this. I want you to know, if you were ever at the temple, and you are there with your sacrifice, and you're there to give your offering to God, but you remember that there's a brother or a sister uh, in Christ that has a, a beef with you, or trouble with you, or there's some kind of you know, burnt bridge or divide in your relationship, I want you to just go ahead and leave that offering there. Don't even worry about worshiping me, and I want you to go fix that relationship. Think about that for a minute. The temple that they had at that time, it wasn't exactly an easy place to get. It took days sometimes to travel to. So you took all this time to travel to this temple to worship your God, to honor God, to put God first, to put God before everything else. And God is so serious about this. He goes, yeah, I know that's all great, but if you get there and you're like second in line and it's about to be your turn and it's been four days and you're about to get it done, but you remember at home that you have an issue with your mother-in-law, I need you to just hop out of line and go figure that out. I mean, what? 
What are you talking about, God? Why in the world would I do that? Why is this so important? We, I, this is totally different than the Old Testament. This is totally different than the old way. I thought we're supposed to put you first. And God goes, ah, ha, ha, see, but that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to show you how much I put you first. And by me showing you that I've put you first, I want you to put others first. Because this is part of my new way. This is part of my new covenant. This is part of what's been broken among you. Now, this was so mind-blowing, so life-changing, so different than anything they'd even heard. Peter, you know, he really had to understand these things. He always had a lot of questions. And so Peter, later on, he, he pulls Jesus aside and he says, Lord, he says this. He goes, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Like uh, up to seven times. Uh, seven times. Good number? Now, a lot of people ask, what's the significance of that number? The Jews had a rule amongst them culturally. It was a tradition that you were to only forgive people thrice. That was the limit. Thrice. Three times. That was it. Thrice times I forgive you, and then I'm done with you. Okay? So three chances you get. Kind of like, you, you know, you shame me, shame me, or do me wrong, shame on, shame on you, do me twice, shame on me, or something like that. You know that thing? Thrice. That's it. And so Peter, I mean, he thinks he's beefing up his numbers here. He's like, you know, Jesus, what, what do you think is a good number? I mean, you know, all, everybody around here, they say three times. I say seven. I doubled it plus one, Jesus. That's how good I am, you know. He's really trying to butter Jesus up all the time. And so he looks at Jesus and goes, that's a good number, seven times? Like double plus one, is that good? And Jesus looks at Peter, and he says this to him. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but try this number. Try 70 times seven times. You know how many times that is? Anybody know? 490. Good job. Somebody, we have some smart people at this church. Comment section had it in like two seconds. I know. But 490 times. That's more than once per day, right? That's like one time per day for a year plus some more. I mean, that's a lot of forgiveness. He looks at him and goes, no, I want you to try a different, different number. And then Jesus goes on after that, and he tells Peter this parable of a king. He goes, eh, Peter, let me help you understand this, okay? Let me give you a little, little story, okay? So there was a king. There was a king who had a slave who owed him a ginormous debt. And he looked at that slave who owned him a ginormous debt, and he forgave him. And he said, you're good. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to collect on your debt. And then that slave went and found somebody who owed him a very small debt. And he threatened him and said, you're going to pay me what you owe me. And Jesus says, Peter, guess what happened? When the king found out that the man he had pardoned held a debt over someone else, he called that slave back and he said, who in the world do you think you are? Now that you have held the debt over your brother and sister's head, I'm going to reinstate your debt, and you're going to pay off all of it. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he goes, let me give you the moral of the story. And he says this to him. Jesus tells him, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus says, this is how serious that we are about this. Now again, this was all theory, right? This was unbelievable. 
unthinkable. Nothing. Just, just realize for a minute. I know we've heard this a lot of times, and so we sometimes forget the magnitude of it. But there was no other religion that operated this way at that time. This was so different. This was so mind-blowing that they could not even comprehend what this looked like until they saw it with their own eyes. And they did. Because the day came where Jesus was unfairly and unjustly arrested for doing nothing wrong. And even in that moment, Peter still didn't understand it. And Peter drew his sword. And Jesus said, put that sword away. And he was taken to trial. And for the first time, everyone who is an enemy came together to defeat their common enemy in Jesus. And they had a terrible trial system where even Pilate couldn't see anything wrong with what Jesus had done. He even gave the people a choice. He even gave Jesus' own people, the Jews, the people that he was there to save. He said, who do you want me to kill? This awful murderer criminal over here or Jesus who has done nothing wrong? And they were so disturbed by everything that Jesus had said and taught, the people all agreed, kill Jesus. And Jesus didn't stop it. And Jesus didn't say anything. And Jesus didn't stand up for himself. He let it happen. And then, at the final hour, as Jesus was hung on a cross, they saw practically everything that Jesus had taught up until that moment. When Jesus looked on the crowd, when he could have stopped it, when he could have saved himself, when he could have, at the very least, rebuked them and called them what they were, sinners. Jesus didn't. Instead, he looks at the crowd and he says to them, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes for casting lots. Think about that for just a minute. In a moment where Jesus could have at the very least given them a warning, at the very least could have rebuked them and said, this is wrong. Instead, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in that moment, it started to click. And people started to understand, that's what it looks like. That's how far forgiveness goes. That's what it looks like to forgive not once or twice or seven times, but 490 times. That is what Jesus meant. And then it was very clear the difference between what they thought and what was actually right. The difference was this. They thought Jesus came to defeat our enemies. But what they realized and understood was that Jesus came to help us forgive our enemies. And the disciples understood this. And the disciples preached this. And this became the message of hope and the message of grace and the message of mercy that they ended up sharing with the world. And the Apostle Paul, when he comes on the scene a time later, 
had this great opportunity to sit down and truly understand the Christ story, even though he hadn't seen all of it with his own eyes. And he writes this beautiful letter to the Corinthians about what happened that day on the cross and what it means for anyone who decides to follow Jesus. And he says to him in 2 Corinthians, he said, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So he says, all of this is because we're saved. We don't have to, we, that Old Testament system of giving a sacrifice, of laying something at the altar, we no longer have to do. Christ was the final sacrifice. And so now we have this freedom. We are adopted into the family of God. We are sons and daughters of Christ. All of that is because Christ reconciled us to God. He was the bridge of salvation that brought us back to the Lord. But then he says, and gave us, go ahead and go back. No, I'm sorry, I didn't finish it. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself and Christ, not counting people's sins against us. And then he ends it by saying this. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And so Paul takes what Jesus taught and what he heard about Christ, what he understood about the significance of that day, about what was significant about the Christ story and who Christ was. And he goes, here's what you have to understand. Christ came to reconcile us to God, to build the bridge, to heal, to fill the gap. And so guess what? Now we are saved, but now we have a ministry of reconciliation. Now we are to be the bridge builders, the healers, to fill in the gaps, to make sure that we are always constantly reconciled with our brother and sister in Christ. Because here's the thing, if we don't forgive one another, if we don't reconcile our relationships, then when we come face to face with Christ, he will no longer be reconciled with us. Because if we don't forgive, he will not forgive. And if the king has forgiven our debt, but we continue to hold the smaller debt over the ones who owe us, the king will make sure that we pay him back. So the thing is, when we look at that, when we understand that, as a people of God, we are in the business. We are in the ministry of repairing, mending, healing, fixing, and restoring relationships. First of all, if you're not a Christian, if you're watching online or if you're here in person and you're not a Christian or you're on the fence about Christianity, I, maybe you don't think any of this is true. Maybe you think this is all just a fairy tale. I've, I've heard it before and I've seen it and I understand how you, can get, how you can arrive at that conclusion. But here's the thing. Think about this for just a minute. This is the only religion, the only group of people who have been given a ministry of reconciliation, who believe that as a people, we are a people who are in the business, in the ministry of repairing, healing, and fixing burnt bridges. Healing, fixing, and reconciling broken relationships. I mean, maybe you don't think it's true, but just by that fact alone, don't you hope it's true? Wouldn't it be amazing to see a group of people who are dedicated to a ministry and a message of reconciliation? Who are dedicated to a ministry of fixing broken relationships, broken marriages between father and son, 
daughter and mother, in-laws and family. Don't you think that what we need today are people who are dedicated to not ripping each other apart or taking sides or drawing lines in the sand, but instead in the business, in the ministry of bringing people together? Don't you think, if you're not yet a Christian, that that's a good thing about Christianity? And I know you haven't seen that modeled by the people on TV or the people on the Twitter or the people in the White House, but it does exist, and it is who we are called to be, and it cannot be denied that Jesus said, if we do not forgive one another, we will not be forgiven. And the thing is, For us Christians, we have to understand the seriousness of this. We have to understand that we must, if we call ourselves children of Christ, forgive those who owe us a debt. So if you are a follower of Christ, I guess my question to you is this. My my question for you is, do you have any burnt bridges? Do you have anyone you need to forgive? Now, this could be a whole series, and we could talk about this for hours. Because I know exactly what you're thinking if you're watching this or you're listening to this. But you don't know what they did to me, is what you're saying to yourself in your head. I can't forgive them. You don't know the year I've had. You don't know what they did. I don't know what they did. But God knows what they did. And God knew what they would do when he did what he did. And God knew what you would do when he did what he did. See, God didn't expect anybody to be perfect. And he knew people would slip up and he would make a mistake. Yet God still tells you, you must forgive. And I think that sometimes we get lost in that and we get stuck. Understanding that Christ Christ will not forgive our debt if we have not forgiven the debts of others. But the thing is, we have to understand is if we don't forgive, we put ourselves in a very dangerous position with God. You know, I, I had to live this out this week. My, my son Braden uh, got exposed earlier this week to COVID at daycare. And so when the text messages started to come, hey, here's what happened. Somebody doesn't have COVID. Nobody was wearing a mask. I got upset because we were literally days away from Thanksgiving. And some of you who didn't have family this year for Thanksgiving, I was adopting and taking in. And I was excited about that. I was going to have some of you who didn't have family come and be a part of my family Thanksgiving. And then my parents were coming in town. And my son's fourth birthday's coming up. So family was going to come in town. We were going to celebrate my son's birthday. And then I get this text message and I call his doctor. And I'm like, what are we supposed to do? And they said, Braden is quarantined. You guys aren't quarantined, but Braden is quarantined. So you got to cancel all of your plans. And to say the least, I was upset. <laughs> and so... I let that be known via text message, telling everybody, would you please put a mask on, please? (laughs) And I let it be known to everybody, Thanksgiving is kind of ruined, and people are going to be upset, and people are going to be disappointed, and now we can't do any of our plans. And I let it be known, and I let it be known in a nice way, but it still was wrong. 
And so this week, as I'm working on this message, which I rewrote three times, by the way, uh, I wrote, I was writing the message, and I got to this point where I was about done with it. And I just, I felt like God told me, are you serious right now? You're going to get up there as Pastor Mike and preach this message when you know that your brothers and sisters at the daycare are mad at you for your text messages. You can't get up there and preach until you make that right. So I immediately closed my laptop and got my phone out. And I'll tell you exactly, exactly what, I'll be, what, what I texted to him. And this is what I texted to him. I said, hey, I, said, I hope you're doing well. I apologize for my reaction to the news that you got. There's no buts about it or excuses I'll give. My emotions got the better of me, and I'm sorry. You do a great job caring for Braden, and there's no place we would rather be. I hope you will forgive me. No excuses. No buts. No, see, the thing is, nothing like that. Simply, I know I have angered you, and I am asking for your forgiveness. And she texted me back, and she said, all is forgiven. Thank you very much. We love you. We love your family. We love Brayden. And we moved on. I tell you that for one of two reasons, okay? First of all, I tell you that because I know that when we talk about these things, when it comes to forgiveness, you sit there, and you look at me, and you go, you have no idea. Don't tell me to forgive the person who's hurt me. And I'm up here telling you I get it, and I've screwed up too. As your pastor, there are times where I don't live this out perfectly. However, I am preaching to myself, and I am living out this message as well, asking for forgiveness from the people that I may have upset even before I came here today. And so I tell you that to tell you, you're not ever going to be perfect at this, but God doesn't expect you to be perfect. See, that was what was wrong with the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law was following a list of rules that nobody could get perfect. And when Jesus came, he said, here's the thing. It's not about being perfect. It's about fixing the mistakes after you make them. It's about repairing the bridges that you've burned. Not just so you can be right with God and not just so you can be right for, with them, but also so that you can be right with yourself and move on. And you need to be able to do that before you can move on. And the thing is, is that if we all as Christians would live that way, number one, being conscious that we don't want to burn any bridges, that we don't want to tear anything, any relationship apart or stir the pot with anybody or any other way. We don't want to do that. But if we do, we understand that we are obligated to fix that relationship. Even when it's not our fault. Even when what we said or what we texted wasn't necessarily wrong. When we know it disturbs the pot. When we know it hurts a soul. When we know it is against what God wants us to do. And the people we will be when we are heaven. Then we are obligated to fix it. We are obligated to forgive. And if we don't, he will not forgive us. So here's what I want you to do. And this is going to be super hard. 
You can totally fake this. You don't have to do it. You can totally fake it. Just go along with it, okay? You can totally just be on Twitter instead. I want you to take your phone out, okay? So you're watching online. If you're watching on your phone or if you're, you're here in person, just go ahead and take your phone out, right? Everybody take your phone out. If you don't have your phone, take out a piece of paper or something, but just go ahead and take your phone out. Go to your notes app. Go to your messages app. Go to wherever. I just want you to type something out, okay? So if you're watching at home, you can grab a piece of paper. Or you could grab your phone or tablet and just you're going to write something down. Or you're going to type something down, okay? Every single person watching or here just thought of a broken bridge that they have in their life, a burnt bridge a relationship that's torn apart, that's messed up, that needs healing. I want you to type or write that person's name down. You know who it is in your head. So just go ahead and type their name. Type that name. Type that person. That's all I want you to do. I just want you to visualize this. Whomever that person is, I want you to look at that name. And I know just looking at that name brings back pain, brings back memories, brings back hurt. And what they did to you was wrong. Absolutely. What happened to you, what happened in your past marriage, what happened with your relationship with your kid, what happened with your old boss, what happened with your mother-in-law, what happened with your dad, all of that is, you're, you're exactly right. It was unjust. It was unfair. It wasn't right. You're completely justified in how you feel. Your anger is real, and it's okay to have that. It's normal. It's natural. It's okay. But look at that name. That name is holding you back from moving forward. That name is potentially holding you back from being forgiven by God. Would you like to close that chapter and move forward? Would you like to let that debt go so that you can accept the forgiveness that your Father in Heaven has already given you? Do you really want to go chasing that debt when God has done what God has done for you through His Son, Jesus Christ? Because that's the Christmas story. Jesus came after you even though you were wrong. Just to tell you, hey, I know you didn't know what you were doing. You're forgiven. Your debt's canceled. I'll pay it. I'll pay what you owe. Don't worry about it. Jesus did that for you. Could you... Simply, God's not even asking. You don't have to pay a price. You don't have to sacrifice yourself. You don't have to jump up on the cross. All Jesus is asking you to do is to, in your heart, forgive them. If you want to do that today, here's all I want you to do. That name is on your screen, in your notes app, in your messages, wherever it is. Will you just delete that name and just each click of every letter that you delete, will you begin to let it go and cancel the debt that they owe you? You're holding it already pretty tightly in your hand. Would you be willing to cancel their debt and let it go? You have to before you can move on. You have to 
before you meet our Father in heaven. You must. For some of you, that's going to be easy to do. For others of you, it won't be. And that's okay. And here's what I encourage you to do. If you're not ready to do that, I want you to keep that note in your phone. I want you to keep that name in a note in your phone where you can see it. And all I want you to do is to understand, man, until you delete that debt, till you let that go, you will not be able to move on to the next relationship. You will not be able to marry anyone again. You will not be able to have the Christmas that you want to have. You will not be able to have a healthy relationship with another boss until you let go of this one. You will not be able to open another chapter on your life. And I know that takes time. I know that takes healing. But you can begin today by simply in your heart canceling that debt. That's Christ's desire for you. That's Christ's desire for me. So as we pray today, I would ask you to really pray, God, what is it you want me to do with this? God's desire isn't that you would hold on to it. God's desire is that you would let it go. Not just for them, but for you. Will you pray with me today? God, Lord, we all have a name in our mind, a person's face, someone we're angry with, somebody who owes us a debt, somebody who treated us unjustly, unfairly. It wasn't right what they did. Father God, this morning we see the message of hope that your son, Jesus Christ, came to bring. A message of hope that came with forgiveness. God, you forgave me knowing that I would do what I, what I, what I would do. What I have even yet to do. And so God, would you this morning help me to forgive out of the compassion, not that they deserve, but that you showed me that you unfairly gave me the gift that you gave me, would you help me to pass that on in my heart? Lord, I want to move on. I want to go to the next chapter. I want to I be able to, to have a, a, another, another chance, another shot to move past all of this. And God, I understand this morning is very clear and evident to me. I will not be able to do that until I forgive them until I cancel their debt. I know that means that I won't forget it. I know that means it won't still hurt. But God, I need to be able to look at them. I need to be able to look at that name and say they don't owe me anything anymore. It's okay. It's done. Just in the same way that on the cross you said it was done. In the same way that you forgave me. In the same way that you had compassion and grace and mercy for me, I have to be able to show that to other people who have done me wrong. God, will you help me to live that out? Will you help me to be able to delete this name, to delete this debt, and to let it go?
so that I can be forgiven and accept the forgiveness that you have for me, Lord. So that I can be free and live not as a slave to any debt, but as a child of God. Lord, will you help me to do that? In your name we pray. Amen. If you would like to support Anchored Hope, you can make a donation at anchoredhope.church forward slash give. To connect with someone from Anchored Hope, please go to anchoredhope.church forward slash high. Thank you for listening and God bless.